You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. If you want my notes, you can text notes to the number that comes on the screen and what is in front of me will be sent to you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 28. It'll be up on the screen. It says this. Jesus said, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But then afterwards, he changed his mind. Someone say changed his mind. Then he went. Then he went to the other son and said, The same. He answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you with the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. I came to tell you today, stop telling God no. And start telling God yes. The title of this message this morning is Stop Telling God No. Let's pray. So Lord, we declare right now your word is true. Let every man be a liar. We declare your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Holy Spirit, I pray right now we hide your word in our hearts that we will not sin against you. Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you breathe upon your word? I pray your logos becomes rhema and revelation to us today. I pray right now that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand what your spirit is saying today. Lord, we declare no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place. We say right now, any uh, spirit of distraction, you have to go. Spirit of fear, you have to go. We say, Holy Spirit, come, rule and reign, have your way. Holy Spirit, we do not make room for you, but we give you the entire room. Father, I thank you. No one came to hear me. We all came to hear you. So we declare together, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And all God's people said, amen Amen. and amen. Well, we are stewarding a prophetic word over our house this year that was released in January that this would be a year of reformation. Someone say reformation. Reformation is when you are making the crooked ways straight where wrong things become right in God's sight, which is righteousness. This is a John 3.30 year. This is a year that he will increase and that we will decrease. When we release this prophetic word at the end of the service in January, I released many different prophetic words that I believe we're over our house. I spend the entire year asking the Lord what he's saying over you, your family, and our congregation on, on a yearly basis. And then at the beginning of the year, I release them, and then we begin to steward them or manage them together. One of those prophetic words that I felt God said over our house this year, your family, our community, was this year we would stop telling him no. What I heard was this, stop telling God no, that's no way to find his favor. This morning, I want to teach on this prophetic word on stop telling God no. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop telling him no. Come on, turn to the other person and say, you too, stop telling him no. Listen, we got to get this thing out of us where we stop telling God no. Now, I have been in full-time ministry for over 20 years. 
And in 20 years, the hardest thing in ministry is not casting out demons. Heather just gets up to preach and they come out. The hardest thing for, for, for in ministry is, is not seeing people get healed. You don't do that. God does that. The hardest thing in ministry is not building campuses or planting churches. No, no, no. The hardest thing in ministry is trying to convince somebody that God knows better than them. That God wants better for you than what you want for yourself. The hardest thing in ministry is trying to convince people God knows best. Because so many people think that they know best. You ever see that picture that goes around the internet of, of, of Jesus and he's got that giant teddy bear behind his back and that little girl had that, that little teddy bear and, and, and it's, a, it's a beautiful uh, picture of what it's like to be a follower of Jesus where you're holding on to what you think is so valuable, what you think is so important and God has so much better for you just waiting to give it to you when you trust him and obey him. Part of the way that you can grow in your ability to trust God is by praying the prayer of reformation. Practical advice, pray it every day. We wrote this prayer as a mixture of just different scriptures. And a part of the prayer of reformation is I want what you want. Show me what pleases you. When you begin to posture your heart in a way that you begin to petition heaven or you begin to ask God more than anything to give you his heart. Where you begin to pray daily, Lord, I want what you want. Now, the reason why this is so challenging is because God's given us what we call in, in, in theology free will. What is free will? Free will is God giving us the ability to determine in our hearts our choices and our actions. God doesn't force you. He doesn't force you to believe in him. He doesn't force you to have faith in him. He doesn't force you to obey him. He doesn't force you to, 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 to partner with him. He lets you choose. And this is so difficult because we all have choices. And there's all of these different things that are pulling on our choices. And even though God doesn't choose for you, he doesn't force you, he doesn't make you, he will teach you. And in his word, he tries to teach us how to make right decisions. So let's start in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. God's warning his people. He saw, says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Therefore, choose life. God is pleading with his people. No, no, choose life. No, choose what I tell you to do. Choose to obey me. But guess what? Even though he gives us the option, he still gave us free will and we have to make the decision to choose. God will allow people to choose curses. People say all the time, they can't get over the theological question. Why does God allow bad things to happen to, to good people? No, God allows people to choose. And the, 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 the response of our choice have consequences. There's consequences to our actions. I love how Joshua said it in the book of Joshua, chapter 24. He says this, and it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. Choose this day who you will serve. Someone say choose. 
whether the God of your fathers who served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. Look at what he says. But for me, come on, say it with me, and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said this, if you want to serve Baal, serve Baal. If you want to serve Moloch and murder your children, serve Moloch. If you want to serve Ishtar and be perverted in your actions, then serve Ishtar. But as for me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. Church, you have a choice. You have free will on who you're going to serve. Jesus said it like this in the New Testament. He said, he told his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, look at this, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said this, I'm not forcing you to follow me. In fact, I'll show you later in the text, many people, Jesus let leave him. But he said this, let them. You have a choice. Church, you have a choice to either say yes to God or say no to God. See, free will allows you to either choose self-will or God's perfect will. I'm going to say that again. Free will allows you to choose your will or God's perfect will. This morning, I'm going to give you three reasons why people say no to God. I've seen these over and over in my own life and in the lives of so many people as I've pastored and, 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 and led in ministry. Number one, why do people say no to God? Because self-will or their pride makes them say no to God. The self-will is you don't want what God wants. You're not praying the prayer of reformation. You want what you want. Some of you have never grown out of infancy Christianity and like a child, you just want what you want. Give you an example, Genesis chapter 3 Beginning in verse 1, this is the story of the serpent or the devil tricking Adam and Eve out of obeying God. They were, they, the serpent caused them to say no to God and yes to evil. It says the serpent was more crafty than any of the animals or the wild beasts of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from any of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat from the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither you shall touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, the tree was a desire to make one wise, she took of it and ate of its fruit. She also gave to her son, husband and he ate it. And the eyes of them were both open and they knew that they were naked. Watch, the, the serpent tricked Adam and Eve to say no to God. And here's how he did it. He said, no, 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 you don't want what God wants. You just really want this. 
Look how important this is. Look how valuable this is. Look how enticing this is. You know what's wild to me? Is God put Adam and Eve in the garden. He put them in the middle of paradise. And in the middle of paradise, he said, you can eat of everything. You can have dominion of everything. But this one tree, I want you to deny. This one tree, I want you to say no to. This one tree, I want you to tithe to me. This one tree, I want to be set apart. But you can have everything else. And what the serpent say? I know, but you really need that one thing. It was a true covetousness. This is why it's in the Ten Commandments. And isn't that how with, with us is that God will give us so many blessings, so many things, a marriage, our children. He rewards us. He does all this amazing stuff. And then the enemy will say, I know, but there's still one thing you don't have. Isn't there something else that you still really want? Isn't that other person's spouse what you really want? Isn't freedom what you really want? Isn't this what you really want? And he comes to tempt us, to talk us out of what? Saying yes to God and to have us say no to God. This is what self-will is. Another word for self-will is selfishness. So really at the heart of self-will is we are selfish. I know make you cringe a little bit, but go ahead and say selfish. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Turn to the other person and say, maybe he's talking to me. Listen, what is selfishness? Selfishness, watch, is a spirit from the enemy. It causes you to say no to God and yes to yourself. Let me show you in the scripture, 2 Timothy 3.1, it says, for understand this, in the last days or in the end days will come difficult times. For people will be lovers of themselves. Someone say selfish. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. When the Bible is warning us of the last days and evils, the warning is watch out for selfishness. Why? Because selfishness causes you to say no to God. Selfishness causes you to begin to prioritize what you want over what God wants. Let me ask you a question. Has it ever turned out good for you when you did it your way? I mean, just an honest self-evaluation. Every time you do things your way, it does not turn out great. And you have a plan. You've made it in your mind over and over. You've convinced yourself. But when you ignore God and don't do it God's way, it does not work good. Proverbs says it like this. There's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it ends in death. What does that mean to end in death? I mean, it is broke. It does not work. You destroy your family. You destroy your ministry. You destroy, destroy your business. You destroy your life because it wasn't God's way. And doing it your way is destructive to your future. Let me, can I pastor you for a second? Okay, because I'm going I'm, I'm to ask you a really, really important question that's very simple, but it's profound at the same time. Here it is. You ready for it? Why do you trust God with the afterlife, but not your present life? Hold on a second. Does that make sense to you? You trust him what you can't see, what you can't touch, where you haven't been. 
You trust him that if you put your faith in Jesus, that that eternity in heaven is your home, reconciled with the Father. You trust him with your afterlife, but not this life? Does that make sense to you? Do you know why it doesn't make sense? Because it's spiritual. Because the enemy is trying to get in the way of the afterlife through your present life. He's trying to get you to say no to God in this life so that you will be apart from him in the next life. See, too many of us encounter Jesus, but we still think that we know better than God. Number two, I'm preaching to myself now with this one. Number two, inner vows make you say no to God. Inner vows. Needless inner vow. What is an inner vow? An inner vow is a promise that you made to yourself that wasn't needed. It wasn't necessary. And it could end up being tragic because you promised something that God did not ask you to promise. Let me give you a story. Found in the book of Judges chapter 11. I'm going to teach more on the judges of Israel later this year. But it's talking about a judge named Jephthah. It says, then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah as he passed through Gilead. Look, look at verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. Someone say vow. He said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's and I will offer it to you as a burnt offering. Now look at verse 34. It says, Then Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and dancing. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me low. You have become the cause of great trouble for me, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. This was unnecessary. This was needless. This was tragic. God didn't ask for this. But Jephthah made a vow. He said, Lord, I promise if you do this, I will do that. Ever make one of those promises to the Lord? Inner vows sound like I will never, I can't, no matter what. It's when you determine in your heart, watch this, this is what an inner vow does. No matter what God wants, you've determined in your heart what you will do. So inner vows make you say no to God because you've already determined in your heart, despite what God wants, what you're going to do. If I'm honest with you, I made an inner vow. For 10 years, I made an inner vow I would never pastor. The reason why I made this vow is because I grew up as a pastor's kid. And I saw royal dysfunction. I grew up in revival and church splits. I'm like, you see the bumper sticker, Lord, I love you, but your followers are crazy. Like, that was my life. Then I went and worked for some mega ministries in my earlier years. And I got to see behind the doors of mega corruption. I got to sit in meetings where I heard people say it's about butts in the seat and money in the plates. And I'm a young man behind closed doors 
I'm disgusted by what I see as the facade of spiritual leadership. I saw the divorce. I saw the affairs. I saw the corruption. I saw the greed. And I said, I don't want anything to do with that. And so I made an inner vow. And most of all, I saw churches that were built around a man, built around a narcissist, built around a name, not built around the presence of God. And in my heart, I said, I will never do that. But I love God. I love his presence. I love his power. I love his spirit. So I just traveled around the nation as evangelist. I didn't feel called to be an evangelist. I just didn't want to be a pastor. So I traveled around the nation, saw people get baptized in the Holy Ghost, prophesied over people, watched people encounter the Holy Spirit. I loved it. And then we went home to our drama-free life outside of church politics. And it was wonderful. Heather's working for Magnolia. She's making tons of money. I'm traveling 80 times a year. Go prophesy, leave. Don't have to deal with any problems. Our life was wonderful. And then one day, God harassed me. <laughs> and I'm driving through Fort Worth, minding my own business. And he says to me, I want you to pastor here. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What? Then you do that. I'm talking to myself. I told myself that. Yeah, right. I've told myself no that for 10 years. And, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, no, no, no. And then I told Heather, and I was like, babe, I, I heard the Lord say we're, we're supposed to pastor in Fort Worth. And she's like, you said we weren't going to pastor. I'm like, I know I said it. I'm the one that told you. I know what I said. I made the vow inside the heart. I said no. And then I'm wrestling with it, and I'm talking to the Lord about it. I was like, Lord, I, t I told you I wasn't going to pastor. And he said this. I know. You said that. Not me. And how many of you are telling no to the Lord because you made some sort of unnecessary, needless inner vow? And the Lord has sent your pastor to tell you to repent for your inner vows. I've had to repent for the things I said I would never do. And what? We see corruption or we see something dishonest or we see something unhealthy or, or we see something that's wrong. And so by, by seeing those things, we determine in our heart what we will or will not do without inquiring of the Lord. And I want you to know today that if you make inner vows without God being a part of it, you are going to be forced to tell God no. And you don't want to be an individual that tells God no. You want to be an individual that tells God, yes. So I'm asking you as your pastor today, what inner vows have you made? Maybe you know immediately what they are. Maybe you have to go home and take this in your daily encounter and ask the Lord to remind you of things that you put in your heart that he did not put in your heart. Number three, fear makes you say no to God. And these are in no particular order, but this might be the number one. What is fear? Fear is not a feeling. Fear is, fear is not an emotion. Fear is a demonic spirit. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. How do you know that fear is a spirit? Because it does not make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, it's going to be spiritual. I was driving my car this week. It's 2024, March of 2024. And I see a man in his car by himself in March of 2024 wearing a mask driving by himself. Friends, that does not make sense. That is spiritual. Maybe mental, but probably spiritual. You say, are you being funny? I'm not being funny. It's a spirit. 
and you watched a spirit of fear absolutely shake our nation. And we saw how many people said no to God. They shut down their churches. They said no to God. They stopped obeying him because they said yes to fear. You cannot say yes to God and yes to fear at the same time. It forces you to say no to one of them. And as long as you are saying yes to fear, you are saying no to God. Money causes people to say no to God when the spirit of mammon in fear come on your money. Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Maybe your translation says money, but the Greek says mammon because mammon is not money. Mammon is when the spirit of fear comes on your money. It's when you're afraid of your money running out before it runs out. It's when you prioritize money over God. And here's the problem. Money will cause people to say no to God. They did it in the Bible. It's happening today and it will happen tomorrow. Let me show you Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. It's a story of a rich young ruler. And it says this in verse 18, and the rich man asked God, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Verse 23. But when he heard these things, he became very sad or his face fell for he was extremely rich or had great possessions. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those with great wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's exegete this text. It's important to have sound doctrine that you do not apply one scripture to one person and apply it to everybody. Jesus did not tell the man with the withered hand to sell all that he had. He did not say to the woman caught in adultery, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. He told the woman who was caught in adultery to go and sin no more. So Jesus was dealing with the man who had a money problem. And he was a rich man. And as he's encountering Jesus and saying, what do I need to be saved? What do I need to encounter the, the, the kingdom of God? He begins to teach him. And, and he said, I, I do all those things. That's great. And then Jesus discerns this guy's got a money problem. So he says, I want you to sell all that you have. And he said, I can't do that. And the Bible says that he went away sad or his face fell. Literally, this is only used one other time in, this, in scriptures with his face falling and it's actually used as when clouds rise or fall or his entire countenance fell, watch, because he said no to Jesus. Hold on a second. Just imagine this. You are talking to Jesus in the flesh and you say no to Jesus in the flesh over money. And there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I, I would never be able to do that, yet we do all the time. When God speaks to us to do something and our response is a yes, our response is no. Many people say no to God over money. Do you know what's why Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver? We betray him by not tithing. 
We say no to God when he tells us to give something or do something and we tell him no. Do you realize how deep this is? This is so deep in the hearts of man. This is why over and over Jesus taught on money because it's where your heart is. And it's so deep, watch, it will affect people's eternity. I'm gonna show you. Because according to scripture, the Antichrist will use money to get people to say no to God. You ready for this? Revelations chapter 16. It says this, sorry, Revelations 13, verse 16. Also, it will cause both small and great, rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand of the forehead so that no one can buy, sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This is wild. I want you to look at this. It will cause both small and great, rich and poor, both free and slave. Watch. See, this has nothing to do with how much money you have. It's a heart issue. And according to scripture, the Antichrist will get people to say no to God because their money won't work unless they, they have the mark of the beast. Are you hearing this today? The Antichrist will get people to say no to eternity with God because of their love of money. Now, majority of people are here are probably like Peter. You're like, I would never do that. I would never get a mark. I would never, Peter say, I would never betray you, Lord, ever. You know, no matter what, everyone would betray you and not me with the roosters about to crow. Because I'm going to help you right now. How would you know if you are susceptible to the mark of the beast? How are you susceptible to know if you would be the one that would give in to the pressure and say no to God? Let me tell you, it's those that say no to God now over money. And if you're saying no to God now over money, it is a matter of time that you say no to him for eternity. That is how deep this goes. And I need you to hear me today. It is not about money. What is it about? It's about fear. So whether it is fear, whether it is an inner vow, whether it is self-will or selfishness, let me ask you this question. What is causing you to say no to God? What thing in your life are you prioritizing? Are you loving more? We sang about it this morning in worship. What have you created as an idol that has caused you to say no to God? Look with me in Matthew chapter 21. This is our opening story. Jesus is teaching a parable. What is a parable? A parable is a way that Jesus told stories to teach about the Father's heart, the kingdom of God, and the ways of God. These are teachings of Jesus that he designed to help us clearly and simply understand the principles of heaven. In this story, you have a father, two sons, and a vineyard. The father represents God. The two sons represent two kinds of servants. And the vineyard represents the works that God asks us to do. So he went to the first son and said to the first son, I want you to go work in my vineyard, or I want you to do these works of the kingdom. And the first son blatantly told the father to his face, no, I won't do it. 
You can't make me. I don't want to. No. Then he had a change of mind. And somewhere between the father's presence and him walking away by himself, there was some change that happened in his heart. That word change in the Greek is the same word we get for repent. He changed his mind. He turned his way. And he started thinking, you know what? I really actually want what God wants. I really want to please the Father. I really want to please the Lord. And I know I told him no. And I, and I know I was abrupt. And, and I, I know I was rude. But, 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 but down deep in my heart, I, I, I want to do what's right. I want to please the Lord. Then he had a second son. The second son, he went to him and he's like, hey, I want you to go work in my vineyard. He said the same thing to the first son. And the second son had the best response. Yes, sir. I would love to work in your vineyard. I would love to do the work of the Lord. I would love to obey you. I, I want to please the father. And he started walking away and he had a change of heart. But instead of repenting and going back to the father, he all of a sudden got a little worse. He's like, you know what? No one appreciates me around here. You know what? I gave last year. You know what? I don't think I've, I, I, I'm being praised enough. You know what? I think I've done my, my part. I think it's time for other people to do their part. You know what? I don't even know. I even think this culture is healthy around here. You know what? I don't even know if I like being told what to do. You know, I, I feel like we're being challenged too much. And all of a sudden he starts hardening his heart to the direction of the father and the one one that said yes ended up not doing it and the one that said no ended up doing it and then Jesus said this now which one did the will of the father worship team come and join me see there's two kinds of people in this room right now there are those that are struggling to do what's right but you want to please the Lord and then those, those that say the right thing but then you leave and you struggle to obey him. But I came to tell you this morning to stop telling God no and start telling God yes. It's amazing. I probably hear as a pastor of mercy culture, more than anything, people say, thank you for your yes. They say it all the time. Christmas, I get cards. People say it constantly here. Thank you for your yes. And what they are saying is this. They're saying, my life has been changed because of the ministry of mercy culture. My life has been changed. Uh, my, my marriage has been restored. Uh, uh, they're saying, thank you for the yes. And we're seeing in the food bank what we're seeing in, in the campuses, what we're seeing in the Reformation ministries, what they're seeing in, in, in the school thriving in SLS. They're saying, pastor, thank you for saying yes, because in a result of the ministries of mercy culture, my life has been impacted. And I always have a hard time when people say that to me because for so long, my answer wasn't yes. My answer was no. But church, can I tell you more than anything, I really want to please the Lord. So even when I was struggling with selfishness and even when I made an inner vow, even when fear was coming on us, when I, when I started to go away and process, I was like, no, 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 Lord, I, I really want to please you. And even though it doesn't, it's not what I want to do. And even though it's not my plan, Lord, more than anything, I wanted to please you. Can I tell you now, I'm having the absolute time of my life. I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe I get to part, uh, be a part of this. I can't believe that God chose me to lead in this place. I, five years into it, it still doesn't feel real. Do you know he knew better than me? 
Do you know he knew better? I remember Pastor Steve and I talking. We don't know anybody in Fort Worth. We came here with no friends, no jobs, no resources, nothing, no buildings, nothing, just a word. And look what the Lord has done. You know what's even greater than my yes or your yes? Aren't you glad that Jesus said yes in the garden? In Matthew 26, watch when even his flesh didn't want to say yes. Put the verse up there. He's saying, Lord, is there any other way? Can you take this cup from me? Lord, is there there anything I can do? He was feeling the weight of the sins of the world. He was feeling the weight of the sins of humanity. According to theologians, he was bleeding to the point where he was, or sweating to the point where he was bleeding. That's the amount of pressure he was feeling. He's about to conquer death, Hades, and the grave. He's feeling the weight of all of humanity. And even in that moment when he said, my flesh doesn't want to I'm going to be the son that maybe says take this cup from me is there any other way but watch this but not my will but your will would be done. What if Jesus decided in the garden, you know what, I don't want to do this. You know what, the first Adam couldn't do it, the second Adam's not doing it. What if he would have made a decision? You know what, they deserve hell. You know what, they deserve punishment. They deserve separation between God. What if Jesus would have said no? How many are thankful that despite what he felt, watch, he loved you so much. He said yes. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 